This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture and I'm Juliet Jacobs. The science is clear. We are pressuring the planet in more ways than one, causing unprecedented changes in climate and biodiversity and all of this mostly driven by human activities. And all of these combined increasingly threatens nature, human lives, livelihoods and basically well-being around the world. So this Earth Day, the call is to invest in our planet and for everyone to come together to act boldly innovate broadly and implement equitably. So what can be done and how should it be done? So today, ahead of Earth Day on April the 22nd, I'm going to discuss this and more with Zara Pang. She's a sustainable economy and policy analyst at WWF Malaysia. Welcome, Zara. How are you today? Hi, Juliet. Thanks for having us on the show. Um, I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. So uh, yes, Earth Day on Friday. Uh, so we just kind of want to tackle some of the, well, I guess, you know, you can call it like the trifecta of trouble, right? Uh, the, the climate crisis, you know, um, biodiversity loss and also yeah. how that's going to affect humans. So we know that the um, Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, otherwise known as IPBES, am I correct? Yeah, uh, that's correct. Yeah, and they've shown that sort of strong interrelationship between those things that I mentioned, right? Climate change loss of biodiversity and human well-being. But for, for our listeners' sake, maybe you can help lay out how these three global crises are actually interconnected. Yeah, okay. So actually to, to start with, you know, people really depend on nature. Um, we depend on vital services provided by nature, which include food and fresh water, medicines, protection from extreme weather events. Um, so, you know, what you were talking about, climate change and biodiversity loss, disruptions to nature from climate change and biodiversity loss would actually, you know, adversely impact us as humans. And, you know, one example of that is, you know, recently in the end of last year, we saw flooding in Malaysia on a scale we've never seen before. Yeah. Um, and globally, we're looking at increases in temperature and change in rainfall patterns, JPEG impact water supply and agricultural yields and we've seen you know massive forest fires as well mm -hmm. and with biodiversity loss you're seeing like increasing interfaces between wildlife and humans and what we've seen is that that actually increases zoological diseases right so when is the next COVID going to come along um, and actually like the latest IPCC report predicts an increase in malaria and dengue, which obviously in Malaysia, you know, where we get these cases. So that's a bit of a worry for us. Um, additionally to that, you know, biodiversity loss, losing nature would um, also mean losing what protects us from climate change. So nature actually does a lot to protect us from, from the extreme weather events, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe we can talk about how biodiversity impacts uh, climate change. Um, sure. So animals actually help to maintain healthy ecosystems, which we sequester more carbon um, and plants as well. Obviously, trees and plants are very important um, in taking in carbon and locking that in. And then also biodiversity is also in impacted by climate change. Again, there's forest fires and, uh, for example, our orangutans in if temperatures were to increase and the rainfall patterns are going to change, you know, they would need to actually move to increase altitudes because it's not going to be 
the the right weather, the right um, climate for them where they currently are. Um, but you know, if, if those altitudes aren't available for them to move to, then you know it's it's going to be very difficult for them. And it will also impact things like their food, their natural, their sources of food, and things like that. Right? There's so yeah. many knock-on effects, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. And. I guess, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, research coming out to say that neither biodiversity loss nor climate change will be successfully resolved unless they're both tackled together, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, 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 completely. Um, so, you know, as, as I was saying before, like you really need nature to help mitigate climate change. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the one hand, by all means, we need to reduce our carbon emissions, Um, But we also need sufficient plants and we also need animals to help take in the carbon from the atmosphere as well. And at the same time, you know, changing temperatures and rainfall patterns would really mess with biodiversity, like we were talking before about orangutans. Um, So just one example, um, apparently global warming of just one and a half degrees would lead to the elimination of 70 to 90 percent of our coral reefs. That's insane, right? Yeah, <laughs> and and that comes to affect um, our our food sources as well, as well. You know, right? yeah, 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 that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, okay. So you've you've sort of explained why, right? Um, they're all they need to be tackled together. And I think the problem is that a lot of us think that that climate change or, or this climate crisis, which we know is human induced, is something that's going to happen in the future, right? It's but we know it's an ongoing process. I mean, you shared some of the uh, local um, consequences of it, right? But on a global scale, maybe you can share what are some of the impacts that we're seeing today uh, in terms of both direct and indirect consequences? Yeah, so I mean, uh, direct consequences. Uh, we've seen in the past few years, heat waves. So they've killed actually, you know, we think the U.S. is the developed country and they're very secure, um, from climate change, but um, hundreds actually have been killed in the Pacific Northwest in the U.S. from heat waves, mm-hmm. um, as well as they've seen a lot of wildfires. And we've seen that in Greece as well. Greenland's um, sheet of land ice that, you know, that's been melting, which is quite scary, actually. Yeah. Um, and then that leads to oceans warming and expanding. Uh, and we've seen like really bad floods hit Germany and Turkey. Now, when we talk about indirect impacts, it's about how those imp- those direct impacts, you know, kind of snowball and make bigger situations. So just one example, Syria as a country, they're generally known to have fertile and productive agricultural lands, mm-hmm. um, but they had a four-year drought from 2006 to 2010, and 85% of their country's livestock died. 800,000 people lost their income and crop yields were reduced by two thirds. I mean, yes, they they could import food and that's what they did, but it came very, very expensive for people. And I saw that, you know, this this amount, this massive scale of um, hunger and poverty is kind of one of the factors which eventually led to war in Syria. Um, And that's actually something that's been predicted by the, IPCC report that there's going to be increased conflicts from climate change events. 
Yeah, and and that's scary, isn't it? I mean, there's so much talk of uh, uh, climate refugees as well. You know, there's there's, yeah, we we can't even fa- well. I think the scientists have actually fathomed it, but I think regular folk aren't actually thinking that this could happen to us. Like you know, here in Malaysia, we think, oh, okay, it gets hot, I'll just you know crank up the air conditioning, but that's not a reality for a lot of people, is it? Yeah, that's correct. And you know, the the latest report does actually say that there is robust evidence that climate change is actually driving migration across Asia yeah. as well. Okay. All right. And um, so you, you explained the uh, the global ones just now. I mean, that's a very good example, you know, Syria, we've heard about that. But how about for Malaysia? Like how will both the climate and uh, biodiversity loss crises uh, impact our health and well-being? Yeah. So we have seen those flooding events, especially again, like the end of last year. Yeah. Um, and of this year as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this year as well. And, you know, in, in the long term, we've seen actually the Center for Governance and Political Studies, they released a study uh, which showed that most of West Coast, including Klang, you know, just down the road from us, will be underwater by 2050. Um, if we continue to, if, you so know, scary. we continue the, the, the the road that we're we're going on, um, yeah, our low lying coastlines are becoming increasingly vulnerable to to rising sea levels, um, and then we also see like you know extreme weather patterns are threatening our basic necessities like water and food security and public health. You know, again, uh, malaria and dengue, uh, we're very susceptible to that here. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as, you know, the types of resources that support our economy and the infrastructure that we've invested in. So we've seen, you know, the landslides take away some of our roads already, right? And yeah, so again, like food and basic necessities, the the price of vegetables that have, that has kind of risen a lot. We've seen a lot of that in the news lately. That's actually been linked to the monsoon season being heavier than usual this year. Yeah, so... So we are seeing direct impacts now, but perhaps, you know, not making those correlations, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, let's just go for one quick break, Zara. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about WWF's Living Planet report from 2020. You know, that one uh, stated that we've lost about 68% of the planet's wildlife population. We're going to talk about, you know, how that's going to impact Malaysia. I'm speaking today to Zara Pang. She's a sustainable economy and policy analyst at WWF Malaysia. It's uh, our Earth Day special, and we're talking about why we need to invest in our planet, which is the theme for this year. We'll have more after this quick break. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Bigger picture bfm 89.9 welcome back this is earth matters on the bigger picture i'm juliet jacobs today we are focusing on earth day which falls on the 22nd of april joining me to talk about uh, this year's theme which is investing in our planet is zara pang she's a sustainable economy and policy analyst at wwf malaysia we're trying to tackle that triple threat of um the climate crisis biodiversity loss and how that's going to impact human well-being and health is a major crisis um and it's already happening as zara laid out uh, before the break um now zara i just want to talk about the uh, living planet report uh wwf's uh, report from 2020 and i think that stated that on average we've lost about 68 percent of the planet's wildlife population in the last five decades alone right um why is this an important statistic? You know, why why should we be worried about this? And what's at stake particularly for Malaysia? Yeah, so I'm sure we all know we've actually already lost our rhino. Yep. Um, you know, that was quite devastating. That happened a few years ago. 
Um, and we're fighting really hard right now for our Malayan tigers. Unfortunately, you know, we the current estimates show that we only about we only have about 150 left in the wild. Yeah. And I yeah, let me come back to to the tigers in, in a bit, but let me just talk about the orangutans as well. Um, you know, they're also quite endangered. And I, I guess what's important about that is that biodiversity, uh, which is a variety of our species and our ecosystems, is actually what keeps an ecosystem robust against shocks. So as more and more species die off, um, you know, the weaker our ecosystems become. And let me give you a quick example from the U.S., right? Um, some of you might have heard the story before, but I think it's really interesting. I love it. I love telling it. Uh, it's about wolves in yeah. the Yellowstone Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so they actually were removed, you know, hunted um, until they were gone from the Yellowstone Park. And then 70 years later, you know, um, they were introduced, reintroduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the scientists actually saw was that the reintroduction of wolves changed river flows and the geology of the land. And that's through their impacts on the prey species, right? So they made the elk population kind of more nervous so that they were like less likely to graze um, around the around the river um, so that there was reduced pressure on willow trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so having more willow trees brought back more songbirds and beavers. And then the beavers built more dams in the rivers. And then the rivers, you know, that building those dams actually changed the river flows and increased water in the water table. And that was all because they brought back wolves in Yellowstone Park. So when we talk about losing our tigers, like we don't actually know what's going to happen in our ecosystem in Malaysia if our tigers disappear, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the same goes for, for our orangutans. Uh, so they're they're actually known as the gardeners of our forests, you know, because when they're they they eat the fruit and they they drop it around the forest, and then that's you know what helps to um, disseminate the seeds and and grow our forests as well. So, what happens? What happens when we lose our tigers? What happens when when we lose our orangutans? What's going to happen to our ecosystems? And then what's going to happen to us as as um, an effect of changes to our ecosystems? Yeah, because everything was everything is in perfect balance as it is, right? But when you remove even the smallest things, I mean, we're seeing we're talking so much also about you know the loss of insects, right, and how that's actually impacting yeah, uh, yeah. ecosystems is crazy. Um, there, there's so much there, um, and of course, you know, you you mentioned the IPCC report a, a little earlier, right? And the latest report um, that just came out outlines what needs to be done. Now let's focus a bit on climate change, lah. Yeah, it, it focuses on what needs to be done to limit climate change. Um, maybe you can highlight some of the recommendations from the report that you think you know would would be helpful for us to know yeah okay so uh to start with and i think this isn't such a uh, contested um opinion in malaysia but to start with it is undeniable that human influence is causing climate change okay so it's (laughs) our activities especially the burning of fossil fuels which have warmed the earth's atmospheres uh the oceans and the land um, so our most optimistic scenario, which the IPCC has laid out, is a world where global emissions uh, reduce significantly by 2030, so mm-hmm. that's not too far from now, yeah. and are cut to net zero um, by 2050. Um, 
and in order for that to happen, we need to undergo, as a society, we need to undergo uh, rapid and far-reaching transitions in energy, uh, land, um, urban and uh, urban use, and our infrastructure, including transport and buildings, and obviously our industry as well. So we must actually focus, um, we must shift away from economic growth right? We can't be thinking about economic growth all the time when it's actually impacting our well-being because the whole purpose of economic growth is to increase the well-being of everybody in in this nation, right? Yeah. Uh, Another uh, maybe important highlight from the report is that, you know, something that we're very invested in in WWF Malaysia is the conservation, restoration, and management of forests. It's really interesting. It's really important um, that we have, again, our ecosystems to help us deal with climate change, both in, in making sure that it doesn't get too bad uh, and also in protecting us from, from the impacts of climate change. Another important thing from the, from the report is that social justice and equity are core aspects of the climate resilient development pathway, right? Yeah. Because there are a lot of challenges and a lot of trade-offs, and we need to make sure that the poor and disadvantaged are not made worse off. No, definitely. And um, I think I think more people are becoming familiar with these sorts of concepts. Um, but there's one more concept that I wanted to talk about, and that's natural capital, right? Um, maybe you can help explain what that is. And also, um, as you know, as a nation, you know, does Malaysia actually place enough importance on it? Yeah, so um, natural capital is a term that we use to recognize that nature is one of the capitals. Um, and so what we mean by that, you know, is you've heard maybe of like uh, financial um, or production or human capital. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially like wealth, which has a potential to be used to produce services and goods. Um, so now we're also recognizing that uh, social and uh, natural capitals also exist as well. Um, so... As an example of that, we actually undertook a couple of natural capital studies in Sarawak in 2018 as part of our Heart of Borneo work. Um, And what we found is actually the value of the services that nature provides us in the Rajang Basin was worth 180 million US dollars per year. Okay, so uh, actually a large part of that is the social value of mitigating climate change and locking away that carbon. Mm. Um, but there is also like humongous value in uh, regulation and control of flooding and sediment in the Rajang River. Um, and also for the communities in the area, you know, there was also food, fresh water and raw materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we could do with this study now uh, is that we could show how this value would actually change based on the different development paths that the state would take. Okay. So the World Economic Forum actually pointed out recently that 44 trillion US dollars or about half of the world GDP is actually moderately or highly dependent on nature. So again, you know, (laughs) nature is very, very important. In Malaysia, so we've actually, there's actually been some mention of it in the Malaysia plans, which is like really great. Um, and we're actually looking forward to seeing how we, we can implement that in, in Malaysia and carry through on the Malaysia plan. Um, and that's actually 
again, you know, going back to the Sarawak example, it's important um, to help us make decisions to take into account what we might actually lose if we lose uh, bits of nature, right? We need to make the smarter development choices, which take um, those things into account. Um, otherwise, we're likely to see adverse unintended consequences where we might actually experience huge losses. Mm-hmm. Um, one example, obviously, you know, we've heard a lot about the Ulu Muda Forest Complex in Kedah. Yes. Uh, so that is a large watershed and it actually irrigates the nation's largest granary area, which provides 43% of rice for Malaysia, um, as well as providing a lot of clean water for various industrial parks. So you can imagine, like, if there's land use change or incom- incompatible land use activities, such as uh, forest conversion, unsustainable tourism activities, or logging, then that would actually disrupt the water provisioning service of the forest, right? Mm-hmm. And then that would actually affect the quality and the reliability of that water supply. Um, and then, you know, that would lead to huge costs to our food security, you know, to our rice um, and also to the industries in that area. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, coming back to impact us directly, isn't it? It's our food security that will come to be and our, our livelihoods and our well-being. It all comes back to us, actually. Whatever, as you mentioned as well, it's all human-induced, but it all will come back to bite us eventually. Yeah. Okay. Um, there is also something, um, nature-based solutions, right? You, you were mentioning that earlier. Um, what are some of the nature-based solutions uh, that, that you think have succeeded in boosting nature's resilience? Any, any that you can share? Any initiatives? Yeah, sure. So I think mangroves are quite a famous one. We've seen in the past, you know, when there have been tsunamis, uh, mangroves have actually protected um, our coast and the communities living on the coast from those tsunamis. Yeah. And what we're doing in WWF Malaysia is that we're engaging with the local community in Trangganu mm-hmm. uh, to replant mangroves. Um, and then that also provides a spawning ground for, for fish, you know, for grouper species and for shellfish, which is also important for the fish stocks for the local community. So, um, Nature-based solutions is, is all about using nature. Um, you know, it's benefiting nature, but it's also benefiting people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's basically uh, putting a, a price or, or a value on uh, ecosystem services, right? Yeah, it's uh, making use of the ecosystem services. Yeah, making use of it. I mean, what we already have, you know, so the, the importance is why we need to preserve it rather than take it away and then try and replant it or regrow it, right? I mean, yeah. preserve what and we... What- what we've seen in a lot of cases as well is, you know, it's it's so much cheaper to maintain what we have or to rehabilitate nature than it is to kind of put in these extra, like you know, extra infrastructure or whatever that replace what uh, nature was originally providing us in the first place. Exactly. It seems like common sense, but I think that's lacking quite a bit these days. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, human population, I mean, a lot of harm has been caused by the effects of uh, human population growth and, of course, all the, you know, economic activities that come along with it, right? So overconsumption, that's said to be at the root of the planet's environmental crisis, right? Or should I say crises? Um, yet in that, you know, what are we told to do, right? We're told we need to keep boosting the economy. We need to keep spending. Uh, and we've seen that, especially during this pandemic, isn't it? Because, you know, we need to pre- preserve those livelihoods of, you know, folks selling things. And shopping, of course, has been actually cast as a positive act. I mean, 
we understand why, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? I'm just curious to know. Okay, so there's there's a lot to unpack in that question. <laughs> <laughs> unpopular one, very unpopular one, especially on a business station, but let's do it. <laughs> um, okay, so this is, first of all, human population growth. It's it's not humans per se, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not just population uh, growth, which is creating all these problems. It's, as you say, it's overconsumption. Yeah. Um, and then about economic growth, right? We, we need to ask, is economic growth, uh, what, what is it for? Is it for the sake of economic growth? Like, what do we actually want from economic growth? Um, and, you know, it's actually because in the past, we've linked e- economy and, and that growth to well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've actually seen that there's many damaging aspects of economic growth to our nature, which impacts, you know, our long-term well-being. And it may not be actually so beneficial for some of the poorer people as well. So we need to focus more on well-being, right? No longer talk about economic growth for the sake of economic growth. We got to talk about well-being and sustainability of well-being. And actually like to... I want to crowbar my my favorite new quote into here as well, which is there are no jobs. There are no jobs on a dead planet, right? So you're talking about economic growth. You know, we're going to grow the economy and we're going to like not think about anything else apart from growing the economy. Then you're going to end up with a dead planet. You're going to have no jobs. And then what's the point? Mm-hmm. Can I can I throw in my favorite quote? Is you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Carry on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so instead of GDP, instead of economic growth, we should be talking about health, happiness, equity. Can we sustain ourselves in the future? Um, and obviously, that's where nature comes in as well. Um, we have to na- make sure we're, that we're not continually continually depleting it. So that future generations can get as much as we have, or you know, hopefully even more. Um, now, all that said, you're asking about shopping. Um, so, if you still unpopular, want to shop, <laughs> topic, sorry. if you still want to spend money to boost our economy, then you just you know be more conscious about your consumption. Um, you know, sustainable consumption and production is very important here. Um, and I'm going to steal this from somebody who was in my master's course a long time ago um, and talk about services, right? So services are great, pay for a nice meal or a massage. Massages are wonderful mm-hmm. rather than buy something you're going to throw away next week, right? Um, and if you, you know, if you do want to buy like things, if you need an object, uh, think about how it's produced, you know, the energy and materials that go into it. Is it made from recycled content or is it maybe from resources that have been sustainably sourced? Um, so, for example, we're looking at um, things that might have paper or wood in them or palm oil. So if there are certifications for sustainable forestry or sustainable palm oil, does the product have one of these labels on that? Right. Mm. Um, and then is it a one-time use product? Like, are you just going to use it and throw it away? Or can you, you know, maybe buy something that's more long-term that can withstand the test of time and that maybe you can even repair um, 
if it uses energy, you know, are you buying a fridge or an aircon? Like, is it energy efficient, right? That That's actually, you save so much more money in the long term by buying something that's energy efficient. And of course, you know, you save the planet as well. And okay, let's talk about food as well. Okay, so actually food is really important when we're looking at what we can do to mitigate climate change. Uh, actually, food is one of the top three things that we can that we can talk about in terms of what we can do as individuals to mitigate climate change. So there's so much talk about food miles, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, which is like how far your food comes before it gets to your plate. But it's actually one of the smaller contributors to carbon, uh, to to greenhouse gases, compared to like how that food is actually produced. Um, so like as a general rule of thumb, plants are, are a lot less uh, damaging to to the planet. Um, so eat more plants; they're good. They're good for us as well, and and they're good for the planet. And very importantly, try not to waste food. Like food waste is actually a huge problem um and if we wasted less food um you would also be doing a huge service to to the planet yeah i mean so yeah i'm sorry that that was that was a huge question i rambled on for a bit longer (laughs) no 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 not at all not at all everything that you said you know completely makes sense i mean let's not even start talking about fast fashion that's a whole show on its own isn't it Um, um yeah you know, uh, throw fast, throw away fashion. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll tackle that another day. But let's just go for one more quick break, Zara. When we come back, we'll talk more about, you know, investing in our planet, uh, especially, you know, the role of businesses and corporations. I'm speaking today to Zara Pang. She's a sustainable economy and policy analyst at WWF Malaysia. It's our Earth Day special. The theme for this year is investing in our planet. Zara is helping us figure out how we can do that on an individual basis. We'll have more after this quick break. You're listening to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's our Earth Day special today. We are focusing on the theme investing in our planet. We're tackling those uh, three huge crises, uh, the changes in climate, the climate crisis, uh, biodiversity loss, and how all of that is going to uh, affect humankind and our health and our well-being, right? Very, very important. So joining me to discuss this is Zara Pang. She's a sustainable economy and policy analyst at WWF Malaysia. Um, so before the break, Zara, you know, you were helping to explain... Uh, some of the things that we can do, I suppose, right, on an individual basis as well um, to sort of limit all these crises or, yeah, what we can do, some some actions that we can do. But let's talk about um, uh, corporations. And this, this is other thing that I wanted to focus on. So this net zero ambition by 2050. Um, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, Malaysia, we've committed to it. Um, what do you think are the most important policy priorities for that transition to actually happen? Yeah, so... I mean, you're talking about companies. Uh, let me get back to that in, in a second. Um, but you're also talking about like policies. And I, I think um, one of the most important policies, what we've seen is, um, which we already have, is that Malaysia has a commitment to retain at least 50% of her land mass on the forest and to capping a maximum of 20% of land for all palm plantations, right? Um, so that's crucial that we keep that because then we continue to have a large carbon sink to capture our carbon emissions. Um, And one of the important things for this policy as well is that, um, you know, we need to understand the Malaysian constitution accords rights to the state governments over our natural resources. And so what we've seen is that the federal government has actually 
instituted something called the ecological fiscal transfer. Mm-hmm. And that rewards states for protecting their natural ecosystems. Um, and that's wonderful. And we hope this will be a permanent feature in the budget and that there's more going to be more money going through that. Um, we've also seen a policy of phasing out coal-fired plants. Um, so Tanaga, you know, obviously our biggest utility company, they're also planning to reduce coal-fired energy with renewable energy. So mm-hmm. Definitely, we're on the right path there. That's wonderful. Um, a broader angle is how Malaysia can attract more FDI, right, mm. uh, to invest in climate-related projects. Um, so, for example, we need corporate tax exemptions um, or incentives for new green economy, for example, hydrogen or new low-carbon technologies as well. Um Other policy measures maybe include setting minimum standards of the fuel economy, uh, mandating energy audits for factories to adopt minimum um, energy efficient standards, um, and that will reduce industrial emissions, right? Mm -hmm. So um, as a whole, we need to, we require a whole society approach, really. Um, So that means different sectors, industry players, individual citizens need to adopt integrated measures Um, to reduce emissions and increase the carbon sink. Uh, And we also need our adaptation measures as well, like how how do we live with climate change, um, such as sea level rise, um, extreme weathers, which will have, you know, we we might see prolonged drought and heavy rainfall in the future as well. Um, So, yeah, the government plays a key role here. Um, they need to set the right foundation with coherent policy, uh, regulation, standards, incentives, infrastructure, um, and to support as well. They, they really need to support a green economic transition with reskilling the workforce. So we're, you know, one of the pathways that we've mapped out to 2050, uh, we're looking at job losses in their internal combustion engine and fossil fuel industries, obviously, But then we're seeing massive job gains in energy efficiency, power sector. So like, the you know, working on the grid, uh, working renewable energy, um, electric vehicle manufacturing, um, and also bioenergy as well. So how do we shift that workforce from, from, you know, this fossil fuel and internal combustion energy to these new uh, green economy um, sectors? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, these are the things where, as you mentioned, the government comes into play and the policies come into place, right? It it is possible, though. It just needs to be, it needs the political will, I suppose, for it to happen. Yeah, Yeah. and and you know, uh, I I I threw two questions at you, but yeah, let's focus on the second (laughs) question. I threw Um, corporations and businesses. I mean, they are committing to this as well, but you know, they set their own targets, isn't it, on on an individual basis? Do you think corporate Malaysia is sort of moving in the right direction? I mean, are they making the right decisions to achieve um, this net zero target that we're all talking about, or is it just ambitions? Uh, you know, I, I think we're seeing a lot of encouraging talk. So there's groups such as Climate Governance Malaysia. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had a chat with them recently. Um, they tell us that in Malaysia, company directors are actually recognizing that they need to make the judgments around the climate crisis, right? Mm-hmm. So they understand that the judgments will, what what they do now will position them on the right or the wrong side of climate history. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
they're, they recognize that their stakeholders, which include their employees and their customers, are increasingly interested in the concept of inter- intergenerational equity. Um, so they're also talking about implied temperature warming, warming of their assets and portfolios, uh, whether they need to consider re- uh, reducing emissions uh, as, as an objective or even net zero plans. And when they look at you know, the long-term threats to their business, um, climate change and resource scarcity are actually right at the top of the concerns. You know, this is this is hitting them, you know, it is just good business sense to think about these things. Um, to maybe name some specific companies, you know, we've actually seen some net zero announcements from some of the largest carbon producers, such as Petronas and Tanaka Nacional, which is really, really encouraging. Um, and this group is actually getting bigger day by day. So we've also seen Bursa Malaysia, and we've also seen banks. So Maybank has actually committed to no deforestation, no peat, and no exploitation in their investments. Um, and CIMB has also committed to that as well as to phase out coal. So, you know, these are very, very important uh, things that these companies, these banks are doing. And hopefully we'll see that increase in the future. Okay. So you're hopeful. I, I take hope from, <laughs> from your hope as well. Okay. And Speaking of hope, what are you most hopeful about, you know, in terms of achieving this goal? Yeah, so I hope that companies are becoming more aware, you know, they need to understand that environmental sustainability is not just crucial for their survival, but is actually good for business. Um, And then that will, you know, companies are a big part of our transition um, and we need them on board uh, and we need to move faster um so we need to also become a leader in the world you know we're a developing country but i think we have all the resources and intelligence that we need to become a leader um and avoid and you know not just avoid being left behind but we we need to show the rest of the world that we can help make a world that we can thrive in mm-hmm. And I mean, you can't have jobs on a dead planet, can you? So you really need to start fixing that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to steal your quote from now on. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, just, just to sort of conclude, Sarah, um, the theme, as we keep mentioning, is invest in our planet. Um, the theme for Earth Day, of course. Uh, would you have a final message on why this is so critical? Uh, and, you know, I guess maybe the consequences of not investing in our planet. So we need to recognize that we rely on nature. And natural capital should be invested in just as in other forms of capital, right? Mm. So this is important for governance, businesses, and individuals. So for governments, we need to safeguard the services provided to us by the environment to ensure food and water security and reduce the risks we face from climate change. Again, for businesses, investing in nature only makes good business sense. So they can limit their climate and biodiversity risks by investing in nature. As to why it's so critical, the consequences, you know, you mentioned the IPBES report in your first question, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I'm actually one of the lead authors for the Asia-Pacific assessment. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was, so because of that, you know, I was tasked to present to my colleagues the IPBES report um, mm-hmm. and to give them an idea of the contents. And my second slide literally said, everything is awful. And we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my third slide, which is like, you know, thanks for coming to my TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. 
So um, obviously there was more content to that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had like memes and everything. And like, it was just, it was meant to shock. Um, but like, it's really the only way I could deliver that presentation because that's really how I felt when I was reading the report. Of course. Yes. And that's how I felt again, reading the new IPCC report, right? Like, it's just like, how, how do we get through this? Um, of course, there's hopeful messages. Um, and I, I did give that to my colleagues eventually. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, we can still turn things around. Um, but that's, that's a crucial part, right? We, we, need, we need to be able to turn things around. We, we need to do that important work. So, yeah, we, we need to make the systemic transitional changes. Uh, government and businesses both need to lead the way. Um, and as individuals, we also need to show that we're willing to follow. I think in 2019, you know, we would not imagine what 2020 would have looked like, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but we managed to completely change how we live in the face of the pandemic. And actually, you know, I'm sorry to say, but climate change and biodiversity loss are threats are even greater than the pandemic. And again, I'm going to steal another quote from somebody. There is no vaccine. There is no vaccine against the climate change and biodiversity loss. So, you know, what we saw when we were, what we were doing when we were living with the pandemic was we were just kind of holding out until we, we got that vaccine, right? But there's, we don't have that for climate change and biodiversity loss. The vaccine is, is, is now really doing what we can now so that we can avoid the worst aspects of climate change and biodiversity loss. So we really need to pull out all the stops that we can now um, and and do something about it. And maybe like my top three things that we, we can do is we need to protect our natural ecosystems. You know, I keep on coming back to that, but that's because it's so vitally important. It gives us a fighting chance to get through climate change. Um, and then something from the IPCC report is that we need to decarbonize energy sector. You know, that's, that's extremely crucial if we are to keep within our carbon budget. And then we need to make sure that nature and all that it contributes to us is one of the things that we measure in the development and success of this nation. You know, it's, it can no longer be something that we think, oh, it's nice to have. Um, we need to make sure that it is front and center one of the things that we're looking at. Couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much, Zara, um, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Zara Pang, Sustainable Economy and Policy Analyst at WWF Malaysia. Uh, she was explaining why it's important to invest in our planet. You know, the theme for this year's Earth Day, which falls on the 22nd of April. If you'd like to find out how you can, you know, get involved, it's something that we all should do. Uh, do head to WWF's website. That's www.org.my. You can also head to the Earth Day uh, website if you'd like to, you know, get some ideas on what you can do um, in conjunction with Earth Day and subsequently after that. Uh, and if you miss any part of today's interview or any previous Earth Matters interviews, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.